Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 2 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Well now, look at this. A lost file featuring none other than New Zealand's own. Now let's see exactly... Eliza, are these photographs? Let me have a look. Oh, yes. This was one of my first cases. A bit of a mystery in the South Island. So this isn't a photo journal of indulging in your hobby of wanton mass destruction and chaos? I'll have you know, I resemble that remark. My God, woman, are you trying... Keep your shirt on, Welly. I'm only pulling your leg. I am no more responsible for these images depicted here than your cat is. You underestimate Archimedes. They are certainly remarkable, but also... um, Strange. I don't think I have seen such odd clothing even on you. Luckily for you, I will choose to take that as a compliment. Usually the peculiar occurrence involved, I can keep at a distance, but in this case, I do worry what they mean. Especially for Christchurch. The Wrong Camera by Catherine Ford Blythe Jenkins followed her Uncle Frederick down Cashel Street, the main commercial drag of Christchurch. Blythe gripped her hands together tightly inside her handmuff, trying to contain her excitement. They were not the only people braving the brisk spring air. Many a gentleman in top hat and overcoat stepped lively along the sidewalk, and pairs of women glided from shop to shop, lost in conversation. The crack and whoosh of ornithopters occasionally broke through the street-level noise. Handsome cabs rattled past, horses' hooves sending up puffs of dust. A steam-powered street sweeper passed by, its engine singing rhythmically. All in all, it was a typical day in Christchurch. As they made their way towards the corner of High Street, Blythe noticed a woman on the other side of the road who was peering into a hat shop in a strange manner. Her line of sight looked wrong. I think she is using the reflection in the window to look at something behind her. The woman was also no local. If she had been, Blythe felt sure she would have known her slim form and auburn hair. Intriguing. Blythe, distracted by the woman, nearly walked into Frederick, who had stopped in front of a shop. Blythe looked up at the sign. Evans and Son, Photographic Supplies. Oh, Uncle Frederick! A camera? Happy 17th birthday, my dear. He held open the door. As she stepped through, Blythe glanced back towards the auburn-haired woman. Their eyes met, courtesy of the hat shop window. The woman's eyes narrowed. The camera shop was poorly lit, and its layout was basic. Units along each side displayed various cameras and equipment to best effect, and a polished wood counter extended the full width of the room. Behind the counter was a rack of pigeonholes and a door to the rear of the establishment. The walls were hung with various prints, 
older daguerreotypes and tintypes alongside new paper photographs. The whir of clockwork machinery emanated from the back of the shop, as did the tang of strange chemicals. Mr Evans, a portly gentleman in simple yet smart garb, stood behind the counter, talking earnestly to a tall, thin customer. Mr Evans wrung his hands in an agitated manner as he spoke. This customer, in contrast, looked placid. "'Ah, Mr Jenkins,' said Mr Evans, looking away from the tall customer. "'You've come to collect your order?' "'Indeed,' said Frederick. Mr Evans took a step backward, addressing both of his customers. "'I have both gentlemen's orders prepared, if you would wait just one moment.' With that, Mr Evans disappeared through the door to the back of the shop. Blythe stood beside her uncle at the counter. "'Do you think a camera is a suitable birthday present?' asked Frederick. "'Oh, Uncle Frederick, you are much too generous.' "'Nonsense. I am just the right measure of generous.' Blythe looked at the other customer. He was dressed all in black and wore a top hat. He slowly turned his head to look at her, his gaze hard and steady. Blythe jerked her eyes away from him, suppressing a shiver. Mr Evans returned to the counter, carrying two identical boxes, each tied with string. He put one box in front of Frederick and the other in front of the tall customer. "'Here we are, then,' said Mr Evans. "'I hope you do not mind, Mr Jenkins, if I serve this gentleman first. "'Please, go ahead.' "'Thank you, sir. Feel free to open the box and examine the camera.' With that, Mr Evans began to unpack the other camera and talk in a low voice to the tall gentleman. "'Shall we have a look?' asked Frederick, reclaiming Blythe's attention. Blythe untied the box string and removed the label. It read, "'Jenkins, 1A folding camera.' She opened the box. It contained the camera and three film cartridges that looked like billet shells. Blythe lifted out the camera. It was startlingly small and covered in dark leather. On the front face there was an extendable rectangular panel, in the centre of which was a lens. Maroon bellows were set behind the panel. The bell above the shop door rang as the tall customer left. Mr Evans placed a stack of banknotes in his till. "'Well then, young miss, are you in favour of this model?' the shopkeeper asked. "'Oh, yes. It seems so very practical.' "'Indeed it is.' Let me show you how to use it. Ten minutes later, Frederick and Blythe stepped back out into Cashel Street. The auburn-haired woman was no longer in sight. Shall we try taking some photographs? asked Frederick. Oh yes, let's. Make sure to get a picture of the cathedral. Blythe held the camera in front of her, bent over to peer through the viewfinder, and pressed the shutter release. It made a satisfying click and she wound the film on one notch. Blythe looked around the square, deciding what to capture in her next photograph. The green area in the centre of the square was still bare from the winter, although the trees were covered in buds. Trams circled the green area and the cathedral like moths circling a flame, their engines filling the air with the smell of coke. Mail coaches clattered to and from the government building, collecting mail and parcels from the vacuum tubes that extended from the post office within. A tandem ornithopter was taken off on the roof of Warner's Hotel. For a penny, hardy souls could pay to see the square from the air. "'Do you think you would be able to take a picture of the ornithopter?' asked Frederick. "'I'll try.' 
It was hard to keep the ornithopter within the viewfinder as it creaked and flapped a loop around the cathedral's spire. Blythe suspected that the camera moved as she depressed the shutter release. Shall we go this way? asked Blythe, pointing south. Lead on. Blythe headed towards High Street, which pointed towards the airship moorings on the port hills. Blythe could see a row of them on the ridgeline. Are any of them yours? she asked. The green trimmed. It carries a large cargo. It is the one I flew south on yesterday. The others are passenger transports. Blythe held up the camera and bent over to look in the viewfinder. The airships looked small in the prism, but she took the photograph anyway. They continued wandering through town, and all the while Blythe took photographs of sights that caught her fancy. A cab horse with its head down, resting between trips. Two small boys playing with wind-up toy soldiers. The college. People walking along the riverbank. They wandered toward Hagley Park. A formation of ornithopters wheeled overhead. The pilots were all women in rational dress. It was the newly formed Atalanta Club. A woman-only ornithopter club. They encouraged women to take exercise and enjoy doing so. Blythe took a moment to admire the woman's physical prowess before taking their photograph and moving on. Blythe was taking pictures in Market Square when the film stopped winding. Oh my goodness, I think I've finished the film. Already? Well, let's go back to Evans and hand it in for development. You bought her what? Blythe's mother's voice rang out from behind the parlour door. Blythe winced, suddenly glad it was her uncle on the receiving end of the tirade, and not herself. Blythe's younger brother Samuel looked up from the book he was reading. You always cause such a ruckus, Blythe. It wasn't me. It's Uncle Frederick who's in trouble today. What did he do? Blythe grinned. He bought me a camera. Oh, no fair. I got a train set for my birthday. Well, you are twelve. Maybe you will get one when you're older. You are encouraging her interest in mechanics, their mother Mary continued. Frederick replied, although Blythe could not make out his words. Then Mary spoke again. Encouraging her interest in art is well and good, but not mechanics, please. You are a troublemaker, said Samuel to Blythe. You always cause trouble when father is away on business. I do not, said Blythe. Mary emerged from the parlour and strode into the drawing room, her footsteps ringing on the remu floor. Frederick trailed sheepishly in her wake. Your uncle has informed me that the camera cannot be refunded, so you may keep it, although I still consider it to be a frivolous present. Thank you, Mother, said Blythe. Will you be here to see the photographs when they are developed? she asked Frederick. Alas, I must leave for Auckland tomorrow, but I will see them the next time I'm here. I'm rather looking forward to it. Several days later, Blythe returned to Evans's to collect her photographs. A shop boy looked up as she entered, his eyes widening at the sight of her. Before she had a chance to hand over her collection slip, the boy disappeared out back. A scant few moments later, Mr Evans stormed into the shop front, his face a thundercloud. Do you take me for some kind of fool? Blythe took a step backward. Please, sir, I don't know what you mean. I just came to pick up my photographs. I know why you're here. First time photographer, my foot. How did you do it? I honestly don't know what you're talking about. May I have my photographs? Mr. Evans reached into a pigeonhole behind the counter, pulled out a paper-wrapped parcel and threw it at her feet. Blythe picked up the parcel and ran out of the shop.
When she got home, Blythe went straight up the stairs to her room. She sat at her desk and took a moment to compose herself. The sound of the cabbage tree scratching lightly at her window soothed her with its familiarity. Then, catching her lip between her teeth, she opened the parcel. The photographs inside were small and rectangular. Blythe only needed to look at the top one to see what Mr Evans had been shouting about. It should have been a picture of Christchurch Cathedral, and indeed it was, but it was not the same Christchurch Cathedral she had photographed. The top half of the picture showed empty sky, but all of the spire and some of the tower were lying on the ground in a large pile of rubble. The damage shown in the photograph was far more extensive than the damage of the 1888 earthquake several years earlier. The spire had only lost its tip then. The scene in the photograph, however, was heartbreaking. And of course, could not possibly be real. Blythe examined the rest of the picture. People were caught in the photograph in a state of panic. Some were running. Some had their mouths agape and silent screams. Some were embracing to comfort one another. What struck Blythe was that they were all dressed in the most scandalous manner. Women were wearing shirts and skirts that left their limbs bare, some with their hair flowing uncurled and untied around their shoulders. Men also wore short-sleeved, simple shirts, although a few were wearing suit jackets with unusual thin ties. Very few people were wearing hats. It looked like everyone was in their underwear. She flicked through the rest of the photographs, but found them to be just as bewildering. The photograph that was supposed to show the ornithopter instead showed a massive air passenger airship of a kind Blythe had never seen, all smooth curved lines with QE2 emblazoned on the side. The photographs taken at the college showed people dressed as circus performers, and the majority of their audience again looked like they were in their underwear. The photographs by the river showed an assortment of unusual people, from a slender man on a velocipede, dressed in very little clothing and with an oddly shaped helmet on his head, to a woman with her hair pinned in neat rolls under a small hat, wearing a dress that was fairly decent, except that it showed her ankles and forearms, to a young man with greasy long hair standing on a tapered board that seemed to hover a foot off the ground. As she shuffled through the photographs, searching for a single one that showed what it was supposed to. Blythe heard a horse clatter around the house to the back garden. Her friend Charity often visited on horseback. Charity lived on a horse ranch near Hallswell, a town south of Christchurch. Blythe quickly bundled up the photographs and hid them in the back of her wardrobe. Then she went downstairs to greet her friend. Charity had already made herself at home in the drawing room. Good day! Samuel was telling me about your photographs. May I see them? Samuel was also in the drawing room, looking expectant. Uh, they didn't come out very well. May I show them to you later when I'm not so upset about it? Samuel looked cheated, but Charity shrugged it off. All right. Want to hear some gossip about my sister? Yes, please. The next day, Blythe headed back to Evans's with the package of photographs and the camera, determined to explain that there must have been some mistake. She was so nervous that she walked straight past the shop, lacking the courage to go in, and had to turn around at the corner and backtrack. As she approached the door, she nearly collided with a figure exiting the shop. It was the other customer, the tall man. There was another man with him, shorter and not so wiry, but similarly dressed. 
the fierce expressions on both their faces made Blythe stumble backward. The tall man pointed at her. That's the girl who was in the shop the day I picked up the camera. The other man stepped forward, smiling fiercely. Good day. I believe you have something of ours. Would you be so kind as to come here and hand it over? Blythe saw the tall man reach slowly under his coat, keeping an eye on the other people on the street. Oh my goodness! He has a gun! Blythe thought. She backed up slowly. The shorter man made an exasperated hissing sound. You'll get a reward if you hand over the camera. Then the bell above the door announced someone else was coming out of the camera shop. It was Mr. Evans, and he was crawling on his hands and knees, his face bruised and blood soaking one sleeve. He looked up at the scene before him and cried out, I'm sorry, miss. I didn't know what their special lens was supposed to do. I, I didn't know I'd mix them up. The shorter man looked down at the shopkeeper, a look of disgust on his face. He's still moving, Rhodes, he said. The tall man, Rhodes, approached Mr. Evans, adjusting his grip on his cane. These aren't nice people, girl, cried Mr. Evans. Run! With that, he reached out and grabbed the shorter man's ankle. Blythe ran. Shoppers looked at her in surprise as she sprinted along Cashel Street, her bonnet flopping backward. When she reached the river, she dared a quick look back and saw the two men far behind. Mr. Evans had delayed them, but they were in hot pursuit. Blythe turned south and ran along the riverbank. It was only when she got to the hospital that she realised she was running the wrong way. Where was she even running to? Home was in the other direction. A quick glance showed the men were gaining on her. She spied several horses tied outside a hotel and had an idea. I could go to Charity's house. With that, Blythe ran over to one of the horses, looked around to make sure no one was watching, and unhitched it. She mounted, shoved the camera and photographs inside her jacket, and took off down Lincoln Road at a full gallop. The most northern section of Lincoln Road bordered Hagley Park by the cricket fields. A game was being played. One of the batters hit a four as Blythe passed. The spectators clapped politely while craning their necks to see who was disrupting their peace. Blythe ignored their disapproval. As Blythe crossed the railway tracks, she looked behind again. There were no longer any signs of pursuit. She kept going, not yet feeling safe. Her mount must have been bored standing outside the hotel, because it was more than happy to gallop freely. Blythe rode past the windmills and the grain silos. A carter yelled at her as she dodged around him, startling the cart horse. Blythe looked back once more. There were two small shapes in the sky behind her. Ornithopters. She tried to convince the horse to go faster. She blew past a line of warehouses and soon after left the industrial area behind. There was less than two miles of farmland and horse ranches until she reached Charity's house. But when she looked back again, the ornithopters had gained on her. She could faintly hear the creak and whoosh of their wings and even see the two black-clad men operating them. She pushed on. She was still a mile from Charity's house when one of the ornithopters swooped around in front of her, low over the road. The horse, who up until that point had been enjoying the ride, suddenly decided he did not like the game anymore. He bucked, throwing Blythe to the ground, and fled back the way he had come. 
Blythe climbed to her feet, her backside stinging in a way that foretold an impressive bruise. The tall man was hovering his ornithopter above the road behind her, and the shorter man was landing his in the road ahead. Blythe gulped, backing up from the man. "'You're not very smart, are you?' he said, all pretense at friendliness gone. "'Leading us out here to where there are no witnesses. "'You're making this easy for us.' "'He cracked his knuckles and moved towards her. "'No witnesses, huh?' sounded an unknown voice. "'Then a gun fired twice. "'A cable on the shorter man's ornithopter snapped with a twang. "'One of its wings dropped, nearly hitting him on the head. "'Blythe turned to see the woman who had been outside the camera shop that day.' She was standing in the field beside the road with a pistol in each hand, wearing a lady's blouse and men's breeches. A horse stood foaming at the far end of the paddock, its legs splayed, gasping for breath. Blythe had not heard another horse approaching over the sound of her own and the flapping of the ornithopters. The shorter man reached under his coat and drew a gun, moving as if to shoot the newcomer. The woman was faster. She shot again, and the gun flew out of the man's hand to fall in the dirt of the road. "'Well, well, well,' she said. "'Bellman Roads, well-known lackeys of the House of Usher, accosting a young lady in the middle of nowhere. How strange!' She walked as she spoke, and nimbly vaulted the fence into the road. "'Who are you?' asked Belle. "'Surrender in the name of the Ministry!' said the woman as she moved to stand in front of Blythe. Then she let out an evil chuckle. <laughs> or else. Rhodes tried to fly his hovering ornithopter up away from the fracas. The woman shot at it several times until the cable snapped in its wing as well. The ornithopter lurched and fell out of the sky into the field with a sickening crunch. Why are you involving an innocent girl in this? the woman demanded of Belle. Did you mess up? What would your patron think of that? Shut up, Ministry Hussy, and get out of the way. Blythe looked at the wreckage of the ornithopter in the field. Rhodes clambered to his feet, moving stiffly and clutching his head. He fumbled a pistol out of his coat and lifted it. He was aiming at the woman. Look out, cried Blythe, while pushing the woman to the ground. The bullet went over their heads. Without standing, the woman whipped one of her pistols around and shot Rhodes in the right shoulder. He let out a strangled yelp and then dropped his pistol. Belle used the distraction to dive towards his gun. The woman covered him with the pistol in her left hand. Don't even think about it. Rhodes picked up his pistol in his left hand and aimed it steadily. The woman stood and backed up enough so that she could see both men at once and kept one pistol on each. Drop your weapons, men. You outnumbered, you stupid chit. Drop yours, said Belle. Are either of you as good as shot as I am, I wonder? You wish to take the chance? Be smart, whore. I'd have no trouble putting one between your eyes, said Rhodes. They had all forgotten Blythe, standing in the middle of the shooting zone. The nerve! She drew the camera out of her jacket and held it high over her head. Stop, she cried. They all looked at her. Stop, or I will smash it. Belle uttered a strangled cry and lurched forward. The woman rushed him and knocked him soundly on the back of the head with the butt of a gun. He crumpled to the ground, unconscious. Watching Rhodes carefully, she tucked one pistol in her belt and held a hand out to Blythe. 
Give me the camera and the photographs. Blythe took a step backward. Why should I trust you over them? Good girl, I like you. The woman grinned, still looking at Rhodes. You can trust me because after you give them to me, I am going to let you go. That's all that matters to you, right? Blythe weighed up her options and then handed over the camera and the packet of photographs. Run home, said the woman. Blythe ran. She didn't look back. She didn't want to know what would happen next. A few hundred yards up the road, Blythe found her borrowed mount grazing on the grass verge. She mounted and rode the horse back to town. She hitched it outside the hotel again and headed home on foot. When Blythe got home, she went straight up to her room and shut the door, feigning a headache. Then she sat at her desk and listened to the scritch-scratch of the cabbage tree on the window. The next day, Blythe was reading in the conservatory when the maid, Alice, knocked on the open door. Excuse me, there's a Jane Goodman here to see you. Blythe followed Alice to the parlour. There, seated on the settee and sipping tea under the quizzical eye of Mary, was the auburn-haired woman. She was dressed properly. More than properly, she was in very fine clothes indeed. Ah, Miss Blythe Jenkins, the woman asked. Yes, Madam Goodman? Indeed, pleased to meet you. I found this while I was out for an afternoon stroll yesterday. It is very lucky that the printing receipt was still attached. The woman opened her reticule and pulled out a camera and a paper-wrapped package. Blythe gasped. Oh, my, thank you very much. She took the camera and the package. Blythe, hissed Mary, would this be the origin of yesterday's headache? Blythe gave her mother a shame-faced look. I'm sorry, mother. I had a quick look through your photographs. I hope you do not mind, said the auburn-haired woman. I'm an amateur photographer myself. If you like, I could show you a few tricks. Would you have a moment to step outside? Uh, that would be very kind, thank you. Blythe led the way to the back garden, eager to speak to the woman in private. The woman took the camera off Blythe and pretended to explain something of its use, moving the front panel on its tracks. This isn't the same camera, and those aren't the same photographs. What was that other camera? The photographs were... unusual. The woman snorted indelicately. <coughs> That's one way of putting it. There was once a monocle that showed people other times. It had been made by a magician long ago and was supposed to be in the collection of a wealthy heiress, but when she died, it wasn't there. I tracked it down to those men. It seems someone had the bright idea of grinding a camera lens out of it. A monocle that shows people other times? That's very... peculiar? Indeed, the woman smiled. Wait a moment, said Blythe, taking the camera off the woman and pretending to look through the viewfinder. Other times? So those things... they will happen? I think so. But one of the photographs showed the cathedral in ruins. I saw that photograph. I don't think you need to worry about that. The people were wearing very odd clothes. I'd guess it's not going to happen for a long time. Who are you? I assume your name is not really Goodman. My name is Eliza. What are you? 
I heard you say ministry. Are you part of the government? In a manner of speaking. I'm an agent. She tapped her lip with a finger, a small frown creasing her forehead. You handled yourself well yesterday. You may hear from my organisation again one day. Possibly. Eliza looked at her pocket watch. My apologies. I've an airship to catch. I'm sorry for keeping you, and Blythe said, keenly earnest. Thank you for saving me. Oh, not at all, said Eliza. Thank you. They walked around the house to the front gate. Keep practicing your photography, Eliza said. I will. With that, Eliza wandered down the road towards the city centre, giving a jaunty wave as she went. Blythe returned to the back garden and sat by the steam-powered water pump. She opened the packet of photographs. They were similar to the ones she had tried to take. Christchurch Cathedral, spire intact. Market Square, the college. Normal, everyday Christchurch. Then she got to the very last picture. It showed the massive airship, like nothing in the skies today. The airship had its name on the prow. QE2. Indeed, most peculiar. Catherine Ford hails from Christchurch, New Zealand. She is a graduate of Fitirea Polytechnic's Diploma in Publishing, the only such course in New Zealand. By day, Catherine is a science editor, but she likes science fiction and loves fantasy. Most of all, she loves those special places where the two genres meet. Her blog can be found at catfordnz.blogspot.com and she twitters as Martian Scribe. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of The Janus Affair, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favorite bookstore, or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, the iBookstore, or the Science Fiction Book Club. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.